Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back James Reyes-Picknall. Welcome back, Jim. Good to be back. Thank you very much, James. It's uh, it's a pleasure to see and uh, uh, talk to you again. All right, excellent. Well, Jim, for those that may not be familiar with you, author you know, of the book Uptime, it was the first book I read, Maintenance and Reliability Management, getting me moving in this direction. So I am forever in your debt for that one. Uh, Thank you. Also the <laughs> principal consultant at Conscious Asset, uh, maintenance, reliability, asset management consulting firm. Although super brief, what do you want to tell us about yourself, Conscious Asset, that type of stuff, that type of stuff? Well, uh, my, my own career in maintenance and reliability goes back about 44 years uh, to when I left university as a, as a mechanical engineer. And, and uh, I've, I've spent... Uh, I've moved around different organizations over the years and always, though, uh, in roles where maintenance and reliability were very, very important. So shipboard maintenance and reliability can't call for help at sea. You better keep it, get it right. Aircraft, um, uh, avionics systems, ground-based uh, avionics, um, uh, whole ship design projects. I actually worked on, on some, uh, some very interesting uh, military <laughs> projects where, again, reliability is a big factor. And of course, I got into consulting uh, in uh, 95. And, and so since then, I, I've been very active in, in, in the maintenance consulting realm. Um, I say maintenance because that's probably most of it, but, but reliability is really my focus. Um, you, you know, maintenance to me is just the execution of a reliability program uh, and uh, you, you have to define that right so uh, so i've had some really good mentors along the way too right guys like john campbell uh, uh, who I, I share the, the cover with on on, in, on uptime um he's he's passed some years ago now but uh, uh i learned a tremendous amount from him uh, and his very balanced approach uh, which is in uptime and and uh and then john mowbray even of, of our cm2 fame um, he and i were quite good friends when he was still alive and uh, of course, adding his knowledge of reliability and, and his method and what he learned directly from Nolan and Heath, the inventors of the method, you, you know, uh, combine that with what I got from John Campbell and, and I couldn't have asked for better mentors in my career. So I've taken that and, and hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> in the eyes of others, uh, built on it and, and uh, continue to share that you know, through my, my work with clients all over the world now. Yeah, yeah I, th I think you've done a great job. You know, you're continuing to see the evolution of a lot of those things in the latest editions of Uptime, um, RCMR with Jesus Savante that you've done, you know, the mm -hmm. progression and development of those tools and techniques and how they're applying, you know, in modern day, how we update these things based on what we're learning makes them successful or a little less successful, you know, uh, those learnings definitely come through in those more recent editions. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's, it's surprising how little feedback you get on that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, Jim, what I wanted to talk to you, to you about today is something we're both kind of experiencing, uh, although different clients, but we're dealing with the same sort of thing. And that's really dealing up, dealing with the ramp up after COVID. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that organizations did 
right in the very beginning of COVID or during COVID that's kind of impacting their performance now. So, you know, during the initial weeks, months of COVID, a lot of organizations slashed spending on training, capital upgrades, maintenance, all these other things. Do you think that's now coming back to impact the operation of these assets as we try and get up to speed in pre-pandemic production levels? Uh, it, it is starting to, and I think it's going to get much worse. Um, the, uh, you know, I don't blame COVID. I, I blame our responses to it. <laughs> um, you know, companies basically went into a state of what I might call paralysis. They, 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 they didn't know how long it was going to last. Nobody did. And, and so they, they got very, very conservative and basically slashed spending on anything and everything that was discretionary. Training contractors, consultants, um, any kind of improvement initiative. About the only thing that I've seen that continued on were uh, pre-existing computer implement, system implementation projects. That's about the only thing that actually continued on because um, it was slow. It was, if you're going to disrupt the organization, do it when nothing's happening. So those continued on, but not much else. Um, you know, we saw our own business take a big hit as a result of it because we do quite a bit of training and, and we were very active with consulting on some global companies. So, uh, you know, one week I've got trips planned to about seven different countries. The next week I had none. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and it was a result of, of some corporate decisions. Um, but, uh, it, you know, the, the, the managers took over. People were afraid. Uh, and they didn't, there's a lot of uncertainty, what's going to happen, how long is it going to last. So, so everybody went into hunker down mode and, and, um, you know, that's classic manager. Let's keep it as stable as, so not many had leaders who were willing to stick their necks out and take a chance. Uh, and, and as a result, I think we're, we're seeing, uh, companies that have been almost managed to death through, through excessive, um, cost cutting. And and you mentioned like, like, uh, deferred capital. Uh, replacements, uh, deferred maintenance, any training like just stopped, um, and and uh, you, you know that's left companies in a in a pretty uh, weakened state. Like like, what what does training matter? Less knowledge. Um, Sixteen months of no training. Think about it. Um, people will have forgotten a lot. They've had no refreshers, and they've learned nothing new. Um, the ability to deal with new challenges is going to be really weak right now. Um, their minds are mush. It's as simple as that. And they've been afraid. So, you know, they're, they're not focused on work that much anymore, too. Um, deferred maintenance or ignored maintenance. Ticking time bomb, as I see it. Um, now, it's a bit of a, a, a hidden one, too. Uh, and, and it's hidden because many companies, not all, but many, uh, actually had to ramp down on production levels. So they, they slowed down. That's reduced the stresses on you, like the physical stresses on your assets. There's the engineer and me talking here. But, uh, you know, stuff's not as stressed, so it's not as likely to break. It's running at lower paces, lower speeds, you know. Uh, and, and as a consequence, it's probably running better, uh, you know, than it used to. It probably, to most people, looks to be more reliable. And if you were measuring it with your classic reliability measures, it probably does look a little bit better. Um, and, and, and it's all a bit of a false picture uh, because levels are down. So, so the, the margin between what it can do and what you want it to do has widened. And that's given a lot more room for deterioration to occur. Uh, and because of the lower rates of operation, it's actually deteriorating at a slower pace. But it is still deteriorating. Yep. <laughs> um, it just hasn't hit that bottom line yet. So, so as we start to ramp up, we're going to bring that 
expectation up and and uh, the result of that is that the narrowing of that uh, that margin uh, and and of course increasing of stresses um, and it's going to happen in an environment where demand that's been pent up now for 16 months is really high so the pressure to produce is high the ability to produce is is um, I'm going to say crippled uh, and and uh, as we start to push those assets, thinking that after 16 months of being reliable, uh, they're going to continue to be reliable, um, and it's all just going to come crashing down. <laughs> now, maybe not all. That's probably an exaggeration, but 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 a good portion of it, I believe, uh, will. So um, you know, with that, you know, lower demand activities, so we're running it slower, appears to be more reliable. Now we're going to ramp it up. Um, do you feel organizations? are ready for that ramp up and do you think they're even aware of the fact that it might not be as reliable as they think it is or is that going to come as a big surprise well I, i've actually been saying this for a few months now that this is coming and 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 so if anybody listens to me they'll they'll, they'll have given it some thought but i don't think too many people are talking about it and, and uh, uh, i'd be surprised if many are actually even thinking about it they're you know the bulk of company's employees are just happy to get back to work um, and, and assuming that everything's going to go back to normal. Well, I got news. It, it probably won't. Um, they're they're going to come into a bit of a storm, especially where, where um, performance of the assets is, is expected to be probably higher because of pent-up demand, right? Um, they, they want more out of it than they had pre-COVID, and they've done nothing to improve its reliability over that period. Uh, they had a little bit of a stress break, if you want to think of it that way, um, that's over or ending, and um, it, it's all going to come back to them. Um, the the other problem I think that makes them not ready for it is is um, people. Um, not only are they haven't been doing any training, but but a lot of people were let go uh, or furloughed. Uh, they've had 16 months to find a better job, um, so <laughs> so a lot of them have moved on. Uh, before we even started chatting on this podcast, you mentioned the the, the high turnovers that. that you know, and I'm seeing the same thing. Um, the other thing that happened is baby boomers. Um, you, you know, the last of the baby boomers are still around, um, but they're retiring at a rate of, I think in the U.S., it's about 1,000 a day right now. And, and we've had 16 months of that. So that's an awful lot of very experienced people leaving the workforce over a relatively short period of time. They're not coming back. And, and the experience they had went with them. Um, if they were let go at, because of COVID, and, and many probably were because they may have been the more expensive employees, um, they, they, uh, they, they're probably sitting back and saying, you know, like this is kind of nice being at home all the time. I, I, I don't really need to be working, so I'm just not going to go back. And, and um, I, I mean, I've, I, I've got a brother-in-law who is in exactly that boat, and that's exactly what he's told me. Uh, and, and he's in a field where he, he actually maintains, believe it or not, um, M, uh, MRI or yeah, MRI uh, machines, the, the uh, medical uh, imaging machines, and they can't replace them. <laughs> well, there, there's 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 some very highly skilled, highly experienced people out there that are just saying, you know, you didn't treat me so well. I can take off now, and I can do it early, and I don't lose any money. Bye. <laughs> Yep. And, and, and that's what's happening. So, so a lot of them aren't going to come back. So, so you got less experience, less well-trained. Um, there were fewer challenges during the COVID period. So you didn't have anything really keeping your brain going. So the, the saw is not sharp. 
<laughs> anymore. And, and uh, um, with all that uh, accumulated deterioration, added stress, I, I think we're in for a real mess. Uh, companies are just plain uh, not not ready for it. Um, the challenges they had before COVID didn't disappear. They're still there. Uh, they were just hidden. Um, well, I think and, even I think there's even new challenges. Supply chain. Supply chain is a huge one. Can um, we get the parts anymore or in a reasonable time? We used to well, get three yeah. weeks lead time. Now they're 12 weeks lead time. Exactly. Well, parts, even materials for production uh, yep. are, are in short supply. Um, supply chains were global. And, you know, you were getting parts from Indonesia, China, Australia, Canada, Mexico, wherever. Um, borders closed. Um, not all are open, even between Canada and the U.S., you know, between our two countries. They're not open yet. Um, there, there is still a flow of goods happening, um, but it's slow. And, and, and um, so with, with that happening, uh, the supply chains were severely damaged. Um, lead times lengthened substantially. Prices have gone up, of course. Uh, so that's leading to some inflation uh, pressures as well. Um, and and uh, it's not going to recover quickly. Like, like here in North America, we've got lots of vaccines available. Um, uh, you know, Canada doesn't produce its own, the U.S. does, um, but there's more vaccine hesitancy in the U.S. And thanks to that, we got more vaccines up here. And, <laughs> and our vaccine uh, 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 coverage now is actually better than the U.S. on a percentage basis. Um, thank you very much, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, but we're actually starting to return to normal, but, but uh, our borders are still closed, even between the two of us. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, our politicians can't get their act together. Like our prime minister says, we'll open on the 9th of August and your, your, your folks are saying 21st of August. So um, if you come north for, for any reason, I, I guess you've got to wait a few weeks before you can go home. So, <laughs> um, so but, we're, but we're very hospitable, so you'll be welcome up here. Uh, so anyway, there's, there's all these changes in supply chain and that's hurting. It's, it's, it's hard, it, right now it's keeping production levels kind of subdued. Um, but those will eventually be restored. Um, that's probably the only blessing in the COVID recovery scenario. Uh, because supply chains are a little slow right now, um, it, you've got a lot of demand pent up, which is driving inflation up. That's because supply is down. Supply is down because of supply chain. Um, but that actually gives companies a little bit of a breather to clean up their act on reliability if they listen to this message. If they don't listen to this message, they'll just stumble through it and, and uh, finally get production up to levels where things are just going to start breaking on them. Yep, absolutely. So what type of issues do you think those organizations are going to counter? You mentioned breaking machines breaking down more frequently. Is that it? Or, you know, is it a se series of events? Like, what do you think they're going to see? There, there's, there's events. There's, certainly, I, I think machinery stresses are going to be driven up by demand. Um, and the machines are just not well maintained right now. So th there's going to be some some failures there. That's going to hit um, uh, your your markets, the, you know, supply. So that's going to drive prices up. So there's a there's a knock on effect to your customers, um, your employees. Um, no training. They haven't been too challenged over the last little while. Um, they're going to struggle to to ramp things up. They're going to make mistakes. So there's going to, even even if the asset itself is capable of doing it, the people are probably not quite ready for it. Uh, you know, there's an assumption that oh, we'll just all go back to normal. Well, 
you won't. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I, I've never gone into something that I've left for a long time and 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 had and had it just work perfectly. Um, yep. And and I, I don't think uh, anybody has. So so we're going to see um, problems because of uh, lack of practice, <laughs> lack of training. They haven't been challenged with failures. So so the ability to respond to things failing is is reduced right now. The uh, uh, lack of skilled labor that was a big problem for years before COVID is even worse now. Um, and, and you probably lost some of your better guys because they found better jobs because they had 16 months to go look for them. Uh, so, so your ability to recover from these breakdowns is is reduced. And, and uh, I think downtime is just going to be longer. Overall availabilities will be reduced. Output levels will be reduced at a period when demand is incredibly high. It opens the door for competitors who are smarter. Um, and, yep. and some of those will be overseas. Eventually, they'll be able to sell goods over here again, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, because the border restrictions uh, will end. So so there's there's a number of things that I think are all going to start happening. Um, a, another thing, some people, and I'm already seeing this, uh, some companies are coming to me and saying, look, we need some training in this. We need to develop a training program. Uh, they're they're kind of realizing that things have gone a bit too far, and they're saying we better clean up our act, which is a good thing. Um, uh, the early movers on that are going to get the talent that they want. Yep. Uh, the people that wait are not. Um, you, you know, I'm I'm getting pretty busy personally. I'm, I I know from our discussion earlier that you're pretty busy. Um, you, you know, if if you want somebody that, that to to work with you who's kind of been there, done that, and and, and hasn't really lost the ball yet, um, you, you better move quickly uh, because later. Uh, you're just not going to find them available. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be busy. Um, you, you know, uh, training. You might realize you need training. Um, well, your best trainers are not going to be available, right? Like the, a lot of people want live training, and I, I get it. I, I certainly prefer it. Um, but uh, the live trainers uh, tended to be experienced people. Some of them retired too. Um, and and uh, so, uh, you, you know, if you want those experienced people, uh, you better move quickly. Um, if you don't, um, you'll end up with the alternatives. Now, now um, there's alternatives to training we've proven work now. We don't all like them, but they work, right? Like online pre-recorded training. I, you know, friend, I, I put all my stuff online that way now and translated it into multiple languages. So I've got arguably a bigger market appeal with the stuff that I, I put out there as a result of COVID. It just gave me the time to do it. Um, now, people might say, well, I don't want it. I want, I'd rather have you live. Well, if you want me live in Portuguese, forget it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, if, if, um, if you want me live in English, it might. Uh, but uh, that's going to depend a lot on travel restrictions and whatnot as well. So you're not going to be doing that anytime soon, even as we come out of this. Uh, so, so your accountants are going to realize that look, this live stuff is pretty pricey. It, it, you know, lots of cost goes with it, uh, and there are viable alternatives. You know, um, you know, we're, I, I know this podcast doesn't have video, but you and I can see each other as we're talking here. Um, you can do training that way. I've done plenty of it this yep. past year. Um, Pre-recorded stuff. It's actually, actually, I in in. I found, um, and it was a learning experience for me, I found in converting training over for online purposes that I was actually able to add content 
uh, you know, more stuff that they can download. Um, I, I've added quizzes to every single lesson. Like it, it kind of forces them to think about it twice. So there's a bit more retention at the end of it. I actually think it's a better quality of training. Um, but it's sitting in front of a computer and working on a few exercises afterwards and doing some quizzes online. Not for everybody, I agree. Yep. Um, but it's a lot cheaper than dragging me to Timbuktu to do it live in front of your audience. And your audience is going to be limited, right? With the online stuff, it's not. So, yep. so it's it, it, there's there's some changes coming there that I don't think people have realized are are going to hit them yet. There and and the training companies have all prepared for it. Like it's it's out there, ready to roll. Um, the customer base has yet to come back because they're still hunkered down, saving money. Um, but when they come back, they're going to find that the availability of the live guy is low, uh, and probably that he's done something online that's now available. Um, yep. So, so I think that's just going to grow. Um, that, that anyway, I'm I'm kind of hoping on it, uh, <laughs> frankly. But but at the same time, I I, I really think that uh, you, you know anybody that's looking for training right now, you, you better get used to the fact that a, a portion of it, anyways, is certainly going to be done online, in in pre-recorded courses with online quizzes. It's uh, it's it's far cheaper. It's good quality. Um, there's there's really no missing content. In fact, if anything, there's more content there than there was before. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. Yep, and I think you know some of the other things from I'm seeing anyways is. The, the good people that they were able to retain a lot of these companies, they're now under a lot more stress because those, as those assets are ramping up, they're not delivering performance and now they're being pushed to figure out the, how to get these assets back up to performing levels. And if it was deferred capital, if it was lack, new operators, lack of training, all these different things, that's a lot of pressure on a reliability engineer or a maintenance manager when a lot of that stuff's not under their control, but they're being pushed to solve it. And I think exactly. we're going to see another wave of turnover as a result of it. Oh, gosh. Um, manager, I saw a study, and I wish I could quote it directly, but because um, I, I can't even remember which source I saw it from. But specifically, managers have been really stressed during COVID. Like, they're kind of trying to hold it all together, you know, while their employees are all, you know, kind of just adjusting to working from home. But the managers not only adjusting to working at home, but managing a work crew that's working at home. Um, or a work crew that's still in the plant, and he's not. Uh, and, you know, it, it's added stresses to them. So, so managers have been a little bit more stressed. And, and uh, I, I, you know, if you're in the maintenance and reliability field listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. You were already overstressed. Uh, <laughs> you didn't need this. Um, and and now I'm telling you that your stuff's going to all get break down, and you got nobody around to fix it. And, the ones that you do have don't know what they're doing, and the experience is gone too. Good luck, buddy. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, there, there, there is. I think you're going to see an, an, a wave. We're already seeing a lot of turnover, um, but I think you're going to see a wave of turnover among managers as well. Um, you, so, you know, and younger guys will move into the positions. You know, but are they ready for it? Like. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, after after a year and a half of, of uh, 
kind of being in a really odd environment, you're, you're probably not ready to jump up in front of a whole bunch of people and take charge. <laughs> Absolutely. It's going to be a huge, huge shock. Now, yeah. how can organizations, you know, reduce that risk for all those sins that sins of the past, if you will? Um, yeah. How do they right. reduce that I, risk? I, I like your term because it's, it's so true. Um, well, uh, you're not going to, first of all, you're not going to fix it fast. I can tell you that. It's taken years for you to get so screwed up. It's not going to fix overnight. Um, a training course isn't going to do it. Um, you know, you could hire, you know, James Kovacevic, James Reyes Picknell come in and work with you, and you're still not going to fix it fast, right? Even though we arguably know pretty much about what has to be done and how to do it, um, there's no quick fixes here. But the focus, I think, needs to shift onto something that, that um, I, I've been talking about for a couple of years now. But focus, forget about having a maintenance department. Have a reliability department. Look, look, look at the output. What do you actually produce? Maintenance managers are awfully stressed just to get um, maintenance done. They're very task-oriented. And, and they, they tend to be a little understaffed. So, so the pressures are there. Um, that's going to just get really bad once things ramp up because there's going to be more stuff breaking and fewer people with fewer skills and all that that we've already talked about. Um, but if you focus on reliability, instead of looking at the tasks um, day to day, because frankly, you got computer systems that help you manage that. Um, you know, and if you got the right program, most of it's proactive and it's all triggered automatically anyways. So you, you really don't have to, to manage every last one of those things. It's the breakdowns and, and you want to minimize those. And, and you do that by focusing on reliability. So let's get the right proactive programs in place. Um, you'll, you'll see that, first of all, about half your work will be proactive. So it's kind of, it just runs on its own. Um, but uh, if it's the right maintenance, it, it will also uh, result in fewer breakdowns. So, so you won't have all that stuff breaking down that you have to fix. What, what you are repairing will be stuff that you found before it crashed, before you suffered the, the worst consequences of failure, because you found it early enough. Yep. Um, so the, the maintenance um, focus that we have today on tasks and fixing things will shift to a reliability focus and keeping them from breaking in the first place. I, I think that mindset shift has to happen. Um, to facilitate it, people need to understand a bit more about reliability. Um, yeah. and, and, and you and I both know from our experience that, that you know a lot of people don't really understand it well. So there's there's a huge amount, I think, of training and learning that has to be done. And it's not just engineers because it's reliability and it sounds technical. I, I have found uh, tradespeople who have taken uh, reliability-centered maintenance courses, for example, who become excellent with it. Um, you, you don't need to be an engineer. And, and there's a fallacy out there that, that I hear almost daily now, um, it, it comes out of the IT world, or the systems world. You need data to make decisions, right? The, the gold standard in, in management is evidence-based decision-making. I, I can say it in a chapter of my book. Uh, and that's true if you got the data. <laughs> but people don't have the data. Um, I, I, I've done a huge amount of work with the uh, Center for Maintenance Optimization and Reliability Engineering at the University of Toronto great bunch of folks and, and they do an awful lot of work with, with with data for some very complex problems um, probably half or more of the effort in the projects that they take on with the, the membership that the sponsoring members of Seymour um, is just cleaning up the data getting it in a state where it's fit to use it 
uh, yep. for the purpose that they're trying to use it for. And and um, I see that in company after company after company. They've been collecting lots of data, but it's pretty much useless. You, you know, um, and you see it when they go to change systems. Uh, and, and they're thinking about, well, should we bring over the historic data? And, and I just asked them, do you ever use it? <laughs> you know? What do you want it for? Reliability. Oh, okay. Can I talk to your reliability engineer? Oh, we don't have one. Um, I, I, I shake my head when I get some of these answers. So why do you want to save this data? Because you've got nobody to use it, and it's probably not in very good shape anyways. And, and uh, when, you, when you dig in and ask a few questions about the quality of data collection and gathering that they do, they, they pretty quickly come to realize that, yeah, the data sucks. Yep. Um, now, one of, the, one of the concerns I have, though, is, is that we are tending as a society to depend more heavily on technology, and we assume that the technology works. Now, I think the technology has the ability to work, but the data that's needed to feed it is still very dependent on us and our past sins. Yes. So, so the data still sucks. Uh, the technology might be there, but the the stuff you got to feed it with isn't. And and uh, I, I'm a little worried with the loss of experience that I'm seeing happening in the workforce today. That the, the those who are skeptical about computers that that skepticism is somewhat healthy, uh, because they didn't trust the data and they didn't trust it for very good reason. Um, they probably couldn't explain the reason, but it never passed their gut check. Well, today, uh, if you actually try and use the data, you'll find out that their guts were right. The data is bad, and, and you really can't quite use it as you thought. So, so your dependency on the technology is, is really crippled by that right now. Uh, and, and you're not going to collect data fast, right? It, data takes time. It's, you gotta, you know, if you want to collect reliability data, you're going to be sitting around waiting for failures to happen. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, as a consequence, the, the uh, emphasis on a lot of the, the younger engineers in particular coming into the workforce, they, they, they kind of assume that all this stuff is good, and it's not. <laughs> I, 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 there's going to be some tough lessons learned, some hard ways, I think, as, as a result of that. So, so um, you know, but I think focus on reliability. Um, people need to understand it. Training in it is going to be necessary. Um, uh, anything that you deferred in terms of maintenance and, and uh, capital replacements and all that, you're probably going to have to invest a little bit in that because um, you're, you're going to have to make up for some lost ground. And if you don't do it soon, it'll break and you'll do it later. Um, no, sp speaking of that, have you? do you think you organizations have brought their maintenance and capital spend back up to pre-COVID levels or are they still hunkered down? Still hunkered down. Um, the... Um, the supply chain problems are one of the reasons that um, they haven't really been forced to, to fix it yet. Uh, and they're still in this, um, uh, what I'll call COVID induced stupor, right? Like it's, it's, it's almost like you're on a drug. Uh, everything's, everything seems to be running well. And with the supply chains in bad shape, you haven't been able to ramp up yet. So the stresses haven't really started to, to show as much as they might have. Had the supply chains been working well, so so people haven't yet really fully hoisted in the impact of this. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I I've got several clients on the go right now. Not one of them has yet really, and, and we're we're focused on training and some reliability stuff. They haven't really invested in in uh, the capital stuff that they were going to do the replacements. Um, the the, the um, deferred maintenance is still deferred. In fact, if anything, that pile of maintenance is growing because the workforce has shrunk a little bit. Um, 
So I, I, I don't think it's getting any better on their part just yet. And, and uh, you know, like we all learn lessons the hard way, and that's probably the best lessons we learn, but we could have learned them a lot smarter. Uh, and, and I think companies are about to go through that right now. They're going to learn some tough lessons about this. So speaking of that, what can organizations do to be better prepared if something like this were to happen again? You know, what, what do they need to do differently so they're not stuck with poor performing assets and high demand? Yeah, I, they really need to think longer term. Um, get out of this quarter to quarter, let's throw money at the shareholder mindset. Um, uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's really been hurting businesses for a long time, but it's really showing right now because businesses had to sustain themselves over a year and a half period of time uh, where they were in very unusual conditions uh, with really no cushion to fall back on. Um, and um, so I think that that short-term thinking um, ha has really hampered companies. Like they, they, they haven't had a long-term perspective uh, they haven't thought about sustaining the business through upsets. Uh, now it's it's interesting that now towards the end of the COVID era, if you want to call it that, we're starting to see serious effects of climate change. Um, you, you know, the western part of our continent is alight right now. Um, yep. High temperatures, smoke everywhere. Um, uh, Toronto, which is not far from where I live, live uh, was the second worst city in the world for air quality just yesterday. And it's because of smoke from fires in northern Ontario, more than a thousand kilometers away. Um, it was behind only Jakarta, I think it was. <laughs> and if anybody's been to Jakarta, you'll know that's not a good thing. Um, so, so the, you know, we're getting hit with climate change effects, which are becoming really obvious, I think. We've seen flooding in Germany, flooding in China. Uh, fires on, in the western part of uh, North America, record high temperatures, temperatures in Canada that exceed the record for Las Vegas, if you can believe it. Las Vegas is in a desert that's known to be hot. Everybody thinks of Canada as the land of Eskimos and, 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 and ice. Um, you, you know, there's something seriously strange going on in the world today. And, yep. and uh, um, you, you know, to deny that climate change is real right now is... is uh, just, just craziness, in, in my opinion. But, but we're seeing that on top of the COVID impacts. So businesses have to start thinking differently. We got to look long term, like, like what does climate change mean to our business in terms of opportunities, as, as well as, as you know, what do we have to do to sustain the business? Um, if we had another pandemic uh, or or any kind of calamity that lasted more than a few months, how are we going to survive it? How are we going to come out of it in good shape? We're going to come out of it this time, but we're going to come out of it stumbling uh, as i see it and and could we have done better well nobody knew how long it was going to last so you know we're, we're looking back on it now and, and hindsight's 2020 uh but i do truly believe we could have done a better job of, of being prepared for a calamity it doesn't matter what it is um but uh you, you know just getting rid of people stopping all of the activities that would move you in a direction of improving your business just to survive um, isn't necessarily a smart thing. It's like we're trying to trying to chop costs and cut our way to prosperity. It just isn't going to happen. Yeah, and I think some of those opportunities aren't even expensive opportunities to do. We they aren't. I've been advocating for how long to get good job plans so we capture knowledge of our existing staff. So when we have newer people, we don't have to relearn this stuff, right? 
some of them aren't expensive tasks. They're pretty straightforward and simple activities that we can do. Yep. Nothing that, uh, you, you know, I, I've had people tell me that, oh, you know so much about maintenance and all this. And I'm thinking, like, man, it is such a simple field. Um, it, it's not really all that complicated. Um, there's, there's nothing in it that's really a huge amount of work. There's volumes of work to do, but you've got lots of people to do it. So it's not that bad. But you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it, it, if we can do things a little bit smarter, we don't have to work harder. Um, we're going to be forced with the lack of labor and skilled labor in particular to work smarter. And we haven't been doing a good job of getting ourselves ready for that. And we're about to be hit with a period of time when working smarter would really be a big plus. Um, anybody that's there is going to, I think, excel. Uh, anybody who's not is still going to struggle for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, your costs will be high. You're, you're already suffering higher costs due to supply chain and inflationary effects there. Uh, your labor is getting harder to retain. You're going to have to start paying more for people. Um, your equipment's going to be breaking down so you can't produce as much. Like, like that's, you're going to get hit on revenue and costs at the same time. That's not a pretty place to be. And, no, and it's all it's because not. of a lack of any kind of preparation and, and thought about long-term sustainability of the business. So I think in businesses, uh, we can do that. I, I think um, to some extent, we've learned that there's some structural issues in our society too that, you know, this is this Jim getting really philosophical here, but, but if you think about our supply chains, they're global. Um, you know, we've got NAFTA or uh, I forget what it's called, USMCA now, um, you know, between Canada, the US and Mexico. But when it came to COVID, it was, it was an interesting thing that happened with the vaccines. Um, uh, at the time, the US had its former president and, and uh, there was a lot of concern about you weren't going to ship them outside the country until everybody in America got, got vaccinated. Um, so there was some the, the start of what I think got termed vaccine nationalism. Um, now you're doing this with your trading partners, you know, us who didn't have the production capability and Mexico who didn't have the production capability. So we lag behind. Mexico still hasn't caught up. Canada's fortunate because of the vaccine hesitancy in the U.S. We've caught up but and, and, and actually passed. But, um, you know, that happened all over the world. It happened in the EU with, with uh, you know, they went through Brexit while this was all happening. And, and Britain and the EU had a battle over vaccines. Um, you know, there's com countries saying, we won't accept your vaccine if it was made in India. Well, it's the same ingredients, the same recipe, the same production process. Like, what is wrong with the vaccine made in India? It's exactly the same one that's made in Britain or in the U.S. Uh, um, so so I, I think we kind of need to start thinking really big picture uh, in terms of, um, you know, structurally how we run our supply chains. Um, they're not just trading relationships like the, like the NAFTA arrangement. I, I think we got to think of them as something more than that. Um, we're in it together, not just for trade. Uh, you, you know, um, I, I think it's been very aptly put that, you know, we're not out of this pandemic until everybody's out of it. So, yeah, it's nice to get vaccinated and feel good about our life here in North America. But, you know, our suppliers in, in Indonesia or Thailand or India or Pakistan, they're not, they're far from being out of it. And, and uh, things aren't going to come back to normal until they're back to normal too. Yep. So, so I, I think we need to think bigger. I think our governments need to think bigger. Um, and, and get, a little, get a little bit less politics and a little bit more uh, 
uh, you, you know, good old fashioned, let's actually care about each other. This might sound a bit utopian, but, but uh, you, you know, um, uh, politics has hurt in a lot of ways. And it, it really got highlighted throughout this, this pandemic, I think, within nations, between nations, between trading blocks, and globally, the supply chains are a mess right now because of it. Yep. Um, and, and that's part of the problem people are going to be faced with, you know, even in our little world of maintenance and reliability. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I have a, a Windsor assembly plant right just down the road from me. They make all the Chrysler minivans and Dodge minivans. Most mm-hmm. of my neighbors work there. They have a week on, a week off, a week on, three weeks off because they don't have parts to build a minivan. Yeah. And exactly. I think, you know, that's the raw materials for a vehicle. But it, I think it's the same thing for parts trying to get certain parts from vet, different vendors, whether it's VFDs, bearings, motors, assemblies, whatever it is, the same sorts of problems. Exactly. And they're not all manufactured here, right? Like, like that, that's the thing. If stuff is manufactured all over the world. We buy from suppliers all over the world. Um, pretty much everybody does. Yep. Um, and, and you know, we almost... Every country in the world, in fact, perhaps every country in the world did close the borders in one way or another. Some literally said it's closed. Uh, others just put, you know, ridiculous quarantine requirements in place and all that, which which effectively closed it for most people. Um, so, so uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting that uh, uh, we're in this situation, but the some of the, the long tail of getting it fixed, particularly in the supply chain area, it's, it's not just companies on their own. I think our governments really need to get into the act on this and start thinking a bit differently. So um, I don't know how you push it on. <laughs> I'm not sure either. But with that being said, Jim, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about, you know, your experience with dealing with this ramp up, what some organizations, you know, did or didn't do correctly, what they can do to come out of this. But before we go, where can people get in touch with you, learn more about all the stuff you're doing? Um, yeah, how do they do that? Well, I'm going to guess if they're listening to this podcast, there's some links there that you're going to have <laughs> that will take them to my, my website and my email and all that. Um, yes. So that's, there's that. Uh, they can phone me. Um, I don't know if you're going to have the phone number up there. That's another way. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, I'm on there quite a lot. Uh, so I'm easy to find there. Um, I'm pretty actively involved in Canada's Asset Management Association, PMAC, um, and the, the conference that we put on every year. Um, so that's another way to, to get in touch with me. I'm pretty approachable. Phone me if, if I'm actually there to hear it ring. I'll pick up. Uh, <laughs> if not, leave a message. I'll call you back. Um, and uh, um, so getting a hold of me is pretty easy, I think. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, Heck, heck, like you, we're, we're in business for people to get to reach us so that we can help them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're, we're pretty good at making it easy to find us. <laughs> yep. All right. And then my favorite question, do you got any go-to resources you want to share with our listeners? Well, the resources I share, of course, I, I've got, there's a ton of stuff that I produce. Like I write a lot. Um, there's a number of books, Uptime, that you've mentioned, RCMR, that you've mentioned, Paying Your Ways, another one about the business case behind maintenance and reliability. Um, that, that one was written specifically for non-maintenance executive types to understand the value that we can add to a company. If, if more people understood that at the start of COVID, we might not be where we are now having this discussion. 
Um, another one on basic reliability management, something that I think is rather poorly understood. There's another book on that. I've actually got courses on, on most of that stuff as well on my, my website. Um, I write blog articles fairly regularly. Some of them are published on LinkedIn. Uh, most are published in the blog, which is a whole section of our, our website, consciousasset.com. Um, magazines, uh, I'm, I'm, I probably produce articles for magazines three or four times a year. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, with MRO Magazine, I don't know if I'm supposed to plug any of them, but I, I, I'm Mr. O sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Uh, so there's there's uh, quite a, a number of sources you can go to and, and find stuff that I've written, um, podcasts like this. I, I think this is what third or fourth one we've done together. So yeah, I think um, you, you'd be one of the sources for finding stuff out of <laughs> <from> me. <laughs> all right, excellent. But Jim, you are 100% correct. I am going to put links to all this stuff to make it easy to, for people to find and get in touch and locate all these great things. I uh, definitely appreciate taking the time to talk to us about. You know, the ramp up integrated assets, and I think it's something more organizations need to focus on now, but also in the future in case something else happens. Like you mentioned, climate change. It might not be a pandemic next time. It might be a flood. It might be a fire. Yeah. How do we recover from those types of things as well? Yeah. Well, you know, I look, I'm reading the news out of China, and I'm seeing the floods they've got, and they've flooded subway systems. They've actually drowned people in subway cars in the tunnels, yeah, you, you know, um, not not good <laughs> um and and i honestly think we're in for more of that not less unless yep. we really wisen up i agree all right thank you thank you jim it's been good to talk to you again and uh, take care i would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance reliability and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog the rooted in reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.